This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio, and it is already February 4th, by the way, and it is Adopt a Rescue Rabbit Month. So if you ever thought about having a bunny, this is the month to do it. Just know that rabbits are a lot more work than you think they are. So I learned that the hard way. Um, And we had two rabbits that were very sweet for a long time. But, man, um, just be ready because they're just as much work as a dog or a cat. And there's some useless trivia for you. We also uh, have Library Lovers Month. But, I mean, what month isn't Library Lovers, especially here as we're talking about books? And then today specifically is World Cancer Day. So if you have someone that is going through the struggle or the frustration of cancer or the after effects of it, um, or if you have someone who's recently diagnosed with cancer, be sure to stay in their lives in some form or fashion. Even if all you do is you say, I'm going to text you tomorrow and see how you are. I'm at the grocery store. Can I pick up something for you? Can I help you, you know, bring the kids to and from? Can I bring you something? Or simply the checking in. Be consistent and keep checking in because Sadly, a lot of people who get diagnosed with something like this, their friends, as well-intentioned as they are, tend to step back. And a lot of times people need to know that there's people there who will just simply check in on them, and that means the world. So do those things. It's also National Sweater Day, so maybe the people that are going through a crappy time, get them a nice sweater. You never know. It might be nice. But in the meantime, while we're talking and we're sitting and we're loving books and we're doing all these different things, I have a fabulous author that you should be reading, and her name is McGarvey Black. And she was a theater major in um, in college. She pursued acting. And then from there, she moved into sales and magazine and publishing business, and she sold print advertising. But in the late 80s, she quit her job and backpacked all around the world, starting in Australia, then Asia, Middle East, and to Europe. And because of that adventure, she ended up with her next publishing job at Outside Magazine. And for the next decade and a half, she sold and managed sales teams like for companies like Connast, WebMD, and worked at brands like GQ, Allure, and Brides. And she also was on the founding team of Connast's first foray into the digital space, running the ad sales team. In 2007, with two children at home, she became a work-from-home executive recruiter for large and small internet companies and for the next decade. But no matter how she was putting food on the table she always wrote for herself and for her friends and the stories just kept coming and thankfully she put them all in books because in 2017 she left recruiting and pursued her writing full-time she has written three um, thriller novels and her most recent book that will come out this week is a romantic comedy the fussy virgin her previous books i never uh, i never left the first husband and without her consent are all out now and you can pick them up and you can find her at her website facebook twitter instagram and bookbub and i have a link for her pre-order in the right of the show so welcome mcgarvey black how are you today i am very well thank you how are you i'm good so i mean so you got you and I are about the same age then because in the late 80s I had grand plans to backpack everywhere. My aunt had done that in the 60s. Um, she and her three friends just backpacked all over Europe and like met all sorts of people. And one of the big things she talked about was those a lot of countries that aren't there anymore um, yeah. from, of course, the 60s. Um, I mean, what was your biggest surprise when you made this decision to go backpacking all over the world? You know, it's funny, my biggest, so I was living in Manhattan and I was, I had 
had my first job selling advertising, and I was selling for a travel magazine. And um, I met a bunch of people when I was skiing out in Colorado, and they were all from Australia, New Zealand, and they were working at the ski at, at the ski lodge. And I got to sure. talking with them over a couple of beers, and said, "Well, what are you doing here?" And they said, "Well, we're we're traveling." And I said. What do you mean? They said, well, you know, we're just traveling. I go, but you mean like on vacation? And they said, no, no, we travel. And I, I, I couldn't get my arms around that as an American. I'm like, you just travel? Right. And, you know, they just were off traveling. And I, it just got in my head. And I went back to Manhattan to my job in corporate America, and I just could not shake the idea of being able to just take off to parts unknown where nobody knew where you were, and you could just go. So I found another friend who thought that was a great idea also. And the two of us began plotting and planning. We both worked for the same company and we quit on the same day. Um, and then we, we bought an around the world ticket, which was, and now I talk about countries not there. Well, there's airlines that aren't there anymore. It was Pan Am. It was a combination uh-huh. of three airlines, but one of them was Pan Am. And, uh, and we bought the around the world tickets. And then last minute, we, we couldn't go together. So I, I had already quit my job, and they already gave me a going-away party. So I had to keep had to go. So I right. ended up going by myself, which was kind of scary. Um, so I took off, and um, my first stop was Australia. But then the next stop, I was dumped into uh, mainland China in 1988, which was a year before Tiananmen Square. And believe me, China was not a, a, a traveler-friendly place if you were a woman alone, a young woman alone. Um, with right. a backpack, um, and you know, I got sick all the time. And remember, also, this there was no internet, there were no mm-hmm. cell phones, and making a landline phone call was exorbitantly expensive. So I was right. totally off the grid. And um, you know, I, I I also did go to countries like you said that are no longer there, like Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Um, and but the biggest thing that was surprising to me, and I, the entire year I was gone, I kept feeling like I'd had this, you know, complete change of personality experience, that I was a whole new person. And I was shocked when I got back to New York and, and got back into my apartment, which I had sublet, and I had slipped so easily back into my old life. That was the biggest surprise to me, that I, but you- in, in, in a short amount of time, I was back. But do you feel like your perspective in the world changed, though? I mean, that had to have permanently changed. Um, Yes, because, you know, when you go to countries and you see poverty or different ways that governments run countries or art from other parts of the world, I mean, it's not Mm -hmm. all bad stuff, you just have a a keener interest. You know, when I see an article about Xi'an, China, well, I was there. And so suddenly I want to read that article because it's interesting to me. And I saw the people there and I saw what it was like. So, yeah, I think it it, it heightens your curiosity about the world in general. Well, and I think, too, you also probably saw how people just handled their lives differently. You know, just, um, I mean, we all know people that are super high strung and we we know people that are uh, very laid back. And I mean, it, it's, it's very different when there's like the whole country is or more majority of the country is one or the other um, or how they just address everyday, you know, stressors. I mean, that, I'm sure that was um, an, an, an awakening and eye opening experience for you. Yeah, it was. And, you know, you're going into all these different cultures 
going in, you know, to like the Chinese culture and then flying into India and, and being in the Indian culture. And then I went up to the north of India where the Dalai Lama and the Tibetan people live and there was a whole other culture. So being exposed to all these cultures was really mm-hmm. um, eye-opening. Did you keep a journal when you traveled? I did. I did. Oh, and in fact, you? my second book, The, Best, the First Husband, um, the actual story that was the opening of the book was based on my experiences in India in 1988. And it was really based on a real couple that I met and uh, what they, a secret they told me. And, um, but I never knew how it ended, so I wrote a novel about how I thought it all worked itself out. Sure. So when you would travel, did you stay in youth hostels? Where I mean, where did you just like arrive and just look for a place to be? Was there anything that was uh, reserved or anything like that? Nope. I okay. was. I had a Lonely Planet guide, and I stayed in youth hostels occasionally. I, I a few times I slept outside. I mean, it was it was pretty. I was traveling really on the cheap. I don't think I could do yeah. that now. In fact, I know I couldn't do it now. Um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm absolutely certain I, I would die. Um, but like I remember one place I was in on the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt and I was on a bus and I got off in the middle of uh, the Sinai and now that whole area is like diving resorts and I got to a place called Sharm El Sheikh which is now a big diving resort but then it was nothing it was like Bedouin villages and I got off the bus it was like six o'clock at night and I had come uh, I guess I maybe I'd come from Israel I didn't I didn't have Egyptian money for whatever reason. Okay. So I must have come from another country. And I got off the bus at 5 o'clock, and when I got off the bus, the money change uh, office by the bus stop closed at 5 o'clock. So I had no Egyptian money. And I had, you know, and they didn't take credit cards in the Bedouin village. So, so right. I didn't, so I met these other backpackers, and, I, and they, they saw I was kind of panicked, so I and it was getting dark out. And they said, well, you can come with us. And I said, okay. I mean, I had no other choice. So I followed these other backpackers into some apartment building. Well, it turns out they were squatting in this abandoned apartment building. And I was there with them, and I wound up sleeping on the floors of this abandoned apartment building. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. What about, I mean, mean, what about any, what did you say, like, if you were stuck? Was churches or anything like that a consideration for you to go and stay? Um, yeah, oh, if I, I mean, I would have, sure, but in the, in the, in the Sinai Peninsula, there were no, well, right, like, right, no, I don't mean desert. just specifically there, right, yeah. I don't mean specifically there, but, in, you know, in general. You, you know, I never, I, I never, I somehow managed in, in most cases, I will tell you, there was another story, I landed in Indonesia, in Jakarta, and it was a similar kind of situation, my flight got in at like 11 o'clock at night. And the money change place closed before I even got off the plane. So now I have sure. no Indonesian money. I have no way to get out of the airport. So I plop myself down in a seat in the, in the terminal, and the guards come over. They're closing the airport. You have to leave. And they're waving to me. They don't speak English. And they're just telling me to get out of the airport terminal. And I said, oh, I'm not leaving. I have no money. You closed the, the window when the planes were still coming in. So finally, they get the head of the airport. He runs the whole place. And he comes yeah. over and he speaks English and he says, Miss, you must leave the airport. And I said, I can't leave the airport. You, I can't change money. I have, how can I leave the airport? And he was a really nice man. He says, oh, my God. He goes, 
I will make them open the money store. So he makes them open the money store so I can change money. And then he and his wife drove me to a youth hostel, came in to make sure it was safe, and got me nicely settled and took off. So, you know, there was lots of kindness, too, um, throughout the trip. Yeah, I think that's pretty a pretty common theme. You know, if you're if you're kind to someone, they're kind to you. And, and again, I'm sure that there's preconceived notions about um, all sorts of of people in in all sorts of different countries. But I mean, just the kindness and respect, I would think, would would carry a lot of weight. Yeah, yeah, it did, and I did find that all, all over the world. And that's why you wow. know sometimes now. When, when we, we hear about, like, the fighting and the wars and we hate people. And I, I just remember, like, you know, we, we villain, vilify the Chinese, you know. And I remember, you know, going through the Chinese countryside and, you know, they're just like us. They're just nice mm-hmm. people with kids and, you know, dogs and they want to put food on the table. And, you know, they're not awful. It's, you know, it's the governments really that are maybe if anybody's awful, that's what it is. And I think... That's what I learned when I traveled mm-hmm. to all those countries is that everybody's the same. Yeah. Well, and I think, too, it's this idea also not going into another country and expecting them to do everything that you, the way you do it. Um, yeah. I have a, a family member who went to Italy, uh, and she was there, and she was very frustrated by the fact that they went to the um, it was the grocery store, and they collected all their things and went to the front and the people in the, you know, the, the guy in the front was like, you, you're supposed to pay as you go. Like you pay each vendor. So, you yeah. know, you pay the cheese guy or you pay whatever. And she was like, well, I just, that's not how we do it. And I'm like, but you were there. So you do it their yeah, way exactly. while you're there. Exactly. And of course, this is someone who complains about people coming here and not doing it our way. So it's like, well, you don't get dibs both ways, you know, but it's like right. you have to adjust while you're there. So, yeah, I think it's 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 true because um, we were very lucky to go to France a few years ago and our daughter was on an exchange program and the host family, they're at the base of the Alps. And I, I, let me tell you, it was the most beautiful pink sky, blue and pink sky I've ever seen. And it was in June. So of course it's light, very late. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting all fresco outside and, you know, they had gave us this five course meal and um, it was the most lovely conversation, you know, that we could, I mean, I spoke a little bit of French and they spoke a little bit of English and we could figure it out. But, I mean, it was just this really, everyone just wants to work and do their job and go home and take care of their family and watch whatever or do whatever, you know. Um, yeah. That yeah. seems pretty universal. Yeah. It is. It is. Absolutely. So tell me how a around-the-world ticket works because I've always been curious. I didn't even know these things existed until about five yeah. years ago. So how does that well, work? I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if they've changed. I mean, it's been a long time, but I think they're pretty much the same. The, basically, the, the product that I bought was you could buy it. It was like a, airlines within the same network would mm-hmm. link together one round-the-world ticket. It was good for one year. You had to go in the same direction, but you could change it for no cost at the time. I'm sure now that's not the case, but then it was. Okay. And so you just kind of mapped it out in advance. And you could change the dates and the airports and the locations if you wanted, but you, could, you couldn't backtrack. So if you went to Australia and then uh, to India, you couldn't go back to China. You had to keep going in the same okay. direction. So you could either go east 
or you could go west. I opted to go west. I would, I would t- people who had already done trips like this said, go west because Asia is really tough backpacking, and you will be exhausted okay. if you, you – and so you want to get to Europe at the end when you have more creature comforts. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, wow. that's why I did it that way. And they were right because I was tired by the time I got to Europe. Were there things on the trip that you um, – so another question is, did you take your camera? I mean, because, you know, now we think about it, it's like, oh, I'll take my phone and blah, blah, blah. And back, but back then, I remember going to Europe in the late 80s, and I think I took 20 rolls of film with me. And yeah, I took I pictures of everything. But then I had to bring the film, like, you know, and yep. you're worried that all the x-ray machines are going to kill your film. Um, how right. did that, how did I, that work? I used to ship, I used to ship film home. So okay. like every time I get to a major city, I'd send a small package back to the States with sure. my film in it. Huh. Wow. So do you look at those pictures now? I mean, do you, you know, you have them all set up and you know, like you have a story for things. You know what? I don't look at them that much. I, I, and that's, I'm just not a big picture looker. I think mm-hmm. I, I have it all in my head. Um, I don't, I pull them out occasionally and I look at them and, but I can remember so much of it. Um, it was an extraordinary thing. I have to tell you if anybody's out there who has the ability, particularly if they're young enough to do it. I mean, I did it before I got married and had kids. I mean, I figured I'd get married. I figured I'd have children at some point. And I knew once that happened, doing something like this would not really be in the cards. I mean, you just can't take off when you have children. At least right. Sure. And, and so I did it before that happened, and I'm really, I'm really grateful I did it. I was young enough that I had the stamina to do it, and I didn't, I didn't have any real financial obligations at the time. So um, it was a, a good time to go, and it was during a time period of time where the world was relatively quiet. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I and mean, how does that work in regard to? income do you work odd jobs as you go along do you I mean how does that how does that work for you or did work for you you know what okay so I mean again I don't know what it would be now but when I went my ticket my round the world ticket for one year and everything that everything that I spent for one year uh youth hostels food transport to everything was seventeen thousand dollars wow wow yeah, and that that includes like plane travel that I did like within China, like everything. I had I had about twenty thousand dollars. That's what I had okay. saved. And okay. I I did it all for less than that. Wow. Yeah, that, I know my aunt when she, they did it. Uh, there's four of them, and you know my grandfather was just <laughs> horrified um, and was screaming, you know don't expect me to come, you know, rescue you. And she's like, all right. Um, so, you know, she's, she's leaving. And um, they, she said that they had four because they figured four of them would be a safe number. Um, so if, you know, one, maybe two, but four would be a difficult group to kind of, like, I guess, kidnap or whatever um, is what their my grandparents' concerns were. But she would work jobs as they'd kind of backpack around. And uh, one of the jobs she worked as a in a farm at an, on a farm in a, in uh, Israel, and she said that at lunchtime the these different groups would start shooting at each other from the oh god you know, the, <laughs> you know and so they would all you know the farmers would just all go sit behind the barn or the wagons and wait till they were done and eat lunch 
and then go oh back out God. when everything was finished. And yeah, it's just like, yeah. she's like, oh, you know, it just happens. Oh, it's noon. Everyone's shooting each other. Let's go back and, you know. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, it, it, it was, yeah, you know, it, it was different. I mean, and a lot of people I met. So you met people at the youth hostels and you'd sort of hook up. Like it, I, I was in dormitory rooms with other girls and many of them were also alone. And you'd say, oh, where are you headed next? Oh, I'm going to this city. Great. Want to go together, share expenses. And so really in a year, I probably was by myself 20 nights alone. The rest of the time okay. I'd made friends and had partners to travel with. But I mean, just sure. so I to tell you one funny story. I remember, so when I was in China, and China in 1988, really, it was, there was nothing Western about it. I mean, you couldn't even get a cup of coffee in China in 1988. And yeah. I remember I went to a, um, a, a train station, or a, some, or maybe it was an airline, some kind of place where there were windows where you had to buy tickets, so I was going somewhere. And the lines were extraordinarily long, and they were like 99.9% of the people were Chinese, and there were a couple of Western tourists, backpackers on the line. And the lines were, you know, they were like 50 people deep. And you just stood there for hours and hours waiting to just buy this plane ticket or train ticket. And so finally, I'm standing on the line for hours and hours. And it's all of a sudden, there's this loud whistle that goes off. And I'm looking around going, what the heck is that? And then all of a sudden, the lights flicker in the room. And all the windows up in front where all the, pe- the ticket sellers are sitting, um, they the, the lights dim, and all the ticket sellers put their heads down on the desk in front of them. And I, and all the Chinese people just stood there, and they thought that was totally normal. And I looked at some guy from France or Germany who spoke English, and I said, what the heck is going on here? And he goes, oh, they're taking their break. <laughs> That's how they used to take their break. They just oh. right down, right there. Wow. <laughs> I did that. Wow. That always made me laugh. Well, yeah, that was something I noticed a lot in Europe was um, I think we were in Denmark and we were at one of the churches, the many churches there. And there was a gentleman at the at the um, the souvenir shop. And I was it was amazing to watch him and hear him speak probably six different languages. And he just went from person to person, Um, Mm, you know, mm. French, German, Danish, Japanese. You know, it was just like, what is going? And it was, it, I stood there for a good ten minutes, just watching him go from person to person, and just fluidly switch languages. It was tremendous to see, and you know, I, I really feel like, and you know, this is me getting on my soapbox a little bit. I really feel like we undervalue multilingual abilities here in the United States. I mean, we just, I we really agree. We really, really should embrace at least learning one other language other than English. Um, because honestly, language English is one of the most difficult languages. I mean, you learn English. I know, realize it's what you've always known, but it's hard. So you know, you think you can probably learn something else, um, and you'll be fine. <laughs> so yeah. just figure it out. Um, even if it's a dead language like Latin, learn something else. Right. It's right. okay. Right. Um, so you've got all that, and you've written some of all this in the the first husband book what other books of yours have you put it in there or do you have plans to write about this massive adventure that you went on in any of your stories you know i don't i don't but there's certainly a lot there that i could pull from you know about even somebody taking an adventure like that um Mm -hmm. because you know what it was a very 
different time, and I think it might be interesting to people in that we're so used to, even me now, of having cell phone, having instant connectivity, you know, I Zoom chat with my friends in the UK, you know, don't even think anything of it. I text with my friends in Europe, you know, daily back and forth. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole idea of being so off the grid, you can't do that anymore. Nobody would do it anymore. Um, More than likely it now, was yeah. a very different feeling. Yeah, and, and when you're off the grid like that, you could get yourself into a whole lot of trouble if you wanted to. So sure. it could be an interesting suspense story if it was set back in, like, 1988. Um, I remember once when I was, in, I was approached and asked if I would smuggle um, watches into Taiwan, and I was like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I don't think so. Thanks, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Please. Uh, yeah, don't, you could, don't make eye contact with me. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and I think about it, too, because, you know, you're talking about that, and then think about, what was it, 100 years before you went, was Nellie Bly went around the world by herself, mm. which was like a mm-hmm. huge deal. And then it always escapes me, the name of the woman who was going the opposite direction. So there was... Um, I believe she was the she worked what became Cosmo magazine, but the founder sent her, but in the opposite oh, direction. Oh, Helen so, Burley Brown? Uh, no, no, it was. Oh. I mean, it was in the nineteen. It was in the eighteen eighties. It was the same. So Nellie oh, Bly is oh, going oh. around one direction of the world. This other reporter is going in the opposite, and they were actually racing, but they didn't know about each other. Um, hmm. It was it was a really cool story. I, I mean, I found out about it on Drunk History, which you know is a, is, is actually quite good for like giving you basics information. But um, yeah, so I actually found the book. There's a book out about it. And um, but yeah, it's, and and I can't even imagine 1880s traveling by yourself as a woman into all these places um, all over the world and traveling. Um, it just yeah, I just can't even fathom. So I'm sure. People were like, "There's no way I would have done it back in the 1880s," and then you have 1980s that you know, no, no cell phone. Are you crazy? No way. Um, I mean, so I yeah. think doing it now, I think it would be very different. I mean, you would, you would be totally connected with your friends and family at any moment mm-hmm. of the day. You you had GPS. You have you know language uh, translators. You know mm-hmm. all that stuff that wasn't available. You, I just had a map and a book. That was about yeah, it. And determination and determination for an adventure. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and so exactly. then your adventure recently in the last few years is writing books. So you your first yeah. first three books are thriller suspenses and then you're ju- then you have a romantic comedy. So why did you start with thrillers and then why the romantic comedy? Um so the, the thrillers just kind of came out of some stories that were in my head. Um so my first book that was published was called I Never Left, and it was inspired by, believe it or not, um, and I'm sort of surprised, stunned that I'm even this person, I, I know t- of three different people who were murdered. And, um, oh, wow. And that, you know, yeah. And, and it's, it's odd considering my life um, and where I live. And, uh, it's, and one of the people who was murdered was my oldest friend. And um, the murder was never solved, and I was very frustrated and sad. And I, I, I wanted to write something. I wanted to get it out. And so I decided to write a story about a woman who was murdered, and, and, but in my book, somebody goes to jail. And so that sure. was sort of what spurred me on to do that. Um, 
the, the first husband, as I mentioned earlier, I had met this couple in India, and they had told me this secret, and I was shocked when, they, when I heard it. And then they left, <laughs> and I never knew what happened to them. And all, all, over all these years, I kept thinking, what the hell ever happened to those people? And right. I used to tell the story at parties all the time. And so I finally thought, well, I'm going to write this and see what happens. So that's how that one came about. And then the, the third one was based on a, um, a real-life incident that you may remember. It happened in Arizona uh, about two years ago about a young woman who had been in a coma who delivered a baby. And it was yeah. one of the newspapers. Remember that? And yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember people talking about it and kind of, you know, it had a big ick factor and it was really sad. And so I, I kind of was noticing everybody talking about it. And I thought, yeah, that's a really idea. So I decided to take that idea and do something completely different with it. And that became my third book, which is called Without Her Consent, which was my biggest seller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and, so, yeah. then you've got your rom-com. Yeah. Rom-com. So the rom-com, so my true love is romantic comedies, you know, with Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, Notting Hill, all those movies I love, all those books with Bridget Jones's Diary. That, you know, given a choice to watch or read a suspense or a rom-com, I'd pick a rom-com every time. So I thought, you know what? I love Nora Ephron. I love all that stuff. I loved recently Crazy Rich Asians. And I thought, I'm going to write the the rom-com I'm dying to read. That's, that's how I set out to do this. Right. And it was, it was inspired by something that happened to me. So everything I write, usually something happens to me that makes me think of it. And in this particular case, it was something rather innocuous. I was home one night, and my phone rang, and it was a telemarketer. And I was like, ugh. And I usually don't even answer them, but I, had, she, I was already on the phone. And she had a really nice voice. And I said, well, I, I don't know. And she said, well, oh, could you just answer a couple of questions? I'm, I'm going to knock off for the night. And you'd be my last call. And I was like, okay, I guess. So we started, I started answering a couple of questions. Um, it was a political survey. And, and then we got off on a tangent. And she turned out to be really, really nice and really funny. And then we just started talking about other stuff. And, you know, like, husbands and kids and dogs and all that. And then, you know, we were having a kind of this like grand, like I felt like she was my old pal. And all of a sudden the the phone call dropped. And I I remember I was was really sad. I was like, oh, I didn't even get to say goodbye to my new friend. I I don't even know what her name was. (laughs) My husband was inside and I said, I just met this new friend on the phone and we were having a wonderful conversation. And then the phone died. And my husband just looked at me like, get over it, you know? Right. And, and so I started thinking like, well, you know, okay, that was really a nothing thing. But what if it had been my soulmate? What if it had been a man? What if it had been the guy I had been waiting to meet my whole life? And we finally connected. And just as we were about to exchange information, the call dropped. And right. so that is the premise of my rom-com. Okay. That's how okay. Happened. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, it looks like it's so much fun, and it comes out, su- let's see, Sunday? 
Monday. 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 The, Monday. The, the 8th. Yeah. It's, it's actually, yeah, you can order it now. And I think you can even, I already got my, I ordered a single copy a couple of days ago and I got it from Amazon. So I guess you can get it. Um, but technically it doesn't come out till Monday. Right. So I guess your Kindle, Kindle version won't come till Monday. So did you have any input on the cover at all? It's super cute. Yeah. It is adorable. Oh, my gosh. I love it. Um, so I, they, they came to me with the girl's face kind of with the same expression and in the pink, and I love that. And then I said, well, you know what? The whole book is about these two people using the information they shared in their phone conversation and trying to solve the mystery of who, what, where the other person is. So I need her to be like, you've got to put forth that she's looking for something. And, and I said, and I'd love to see some like New York City skyline in the background because it's a whole, it's a New York City story. There's it, like okay. scenes in Grand Central Station and all that. So, um, so then the, the, the artist went back and she did, you know, it was amazing. And, you know, I think it's sort of a little tongue in cheek, the picture people are going, people have said to me, what's she examining there, you know? Right. And uh, I said, well, that's up to your imagination. But I will say it is a G-rated book, completely, completely. Okay. The raciest part is the title. So there is, you could have a, a 12-year-old read this book. It's, okay. Uh, there's nothing in it that's inappropriate. And there's no, um, not even any bad language. Nice. So. Well, and, and that's a big, I mean, I, I know that a lot of, I have a lot of friends of mine that are writers, and they like writing, like, the more of the sweet end when they've written the opposite, just because it's just kind of a break in the, in the process of both types of writing. Um, did you find that's what happened when you wrote this as opposed to your thrillers? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes, you nailed it. Exactly that. Yeah. I mean, when you're writing thrillers, you know, I wrote three thrillers in a row. You're just like, in, it's death and dying and slashing and, you know, it's, right. it's poisoning and all. And, you know, and this was just like happy time and fun and trying to think of funny things that they could say and like outlandish situations you could put them into. And I just, I was smiling the entire time I wrote it. And uh, I, I do hope it does well because I would really love to, to do more of those. So are your thrillers three separate stories or are they connected at all? Um, good question. They are three separate. However, my first and my third are connected by the same detective. So okay. they're, they're really standalones. The detective moves from New York to Florida for the third story, for the, the other book. Um, so okay. there's really nothing in, but they are, but yes, they are connected. Okay. And so you talked about possibly writing another one for your rom-com. Did you leave it open for a, like another character story or, um, you know, could you just build on what's there? What's what's the idea? Yes. I Okay, so my thought on this is, no, it's not left open. I will say there is the happily ever after. I'm going to tell you that because I had a lot of ARC readers, advanced copy readers for your audience yes. who doesn't know that term, um, say like texting me <laughs> in the middle going, they better come together at the end or I'm going to be mad, you know, like that right. kind of stuff. Um, so it is a happily ever after, but um, – no, but I, I like the character. The Fussy Virgin is a good character, and I think I could parlay her into other things like the Fussy Virgin's wedding planner, the Fussy Virgin. Because in this book, she's writing a guide on how to find your soulmate. So okay. I could have her now 
planning her wedding. And, of course, what could go wrong with that? Lots. And yeah. so on, maybe even the fussy, virg- the fussy virgin's baby, first baby, who knows. But that's what I'm right. sort of well, thinking, kind of staying with her. Right. Well, yeah, like Shopaholic, and then you also have um, – Exactly. Yeah, and then you have um, – Gemma Halliday has the High Heel Mysteries, and so it's the same – uh, girl and she's going through all these different things. So yeah, it's or, or even Stephanie bon, uh, Stephanie Bond or Janet Bonovich. I mean, all of them have these really great um, people yeah, that are going through exactly. all this different stuff. Yeah, and so it just it's fun. It you know it. I find it really interesting how we go back and we're always writing. And I think people assume writers remember everything they wrote, right? And um, yeah, so I've yeah. gone back and looked at stuff, and I'm like, wow, that's pretty funny. I wrote that. <laughs> Exactly. You're like, wow, I was, I was, I was really on fire that day. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, that's pretty clever. How did I do that? Um, I don't know. It's funny. I, I do a, I do a lot of book clubs, whether I do it on Zoom or I'll meet them in now. Now I meet them in a public park. But um, <laughs> it's, I love the questions from book clubs because they ask. Sometimes you may have this experience as, as well. You know, they ask you questions about a character, and sometimes I'm like. Well, I don't know. I have no idea why she did that. You know, they, they, right. they think of things that you have never even considered, and I love that. Yeah, I, I, I think it was. A, I wrote my very first book, and and it's that feeling of when you write that very first book, and it comes out, and you're so excited, and you think, okay, that's done, and now I'm going to go to the next thing, not realizing that everyone else is just now learning about your characters, um, yeah. and. I actually had one of the one of the teachers from my kid's school had got my very graciously bought my book, and she ran up to me after school a few days later and says, "Oh my gosh, I finished the book. What are you going to do about so and so?" And I just looked at her. I'm like, um, "Nothing." And she went, "Oh no, you can't do that. You can't. You, you have to do it. You have to fix it. You have to fix it." And I was like, "I'm thinking, you know, they're fictional, right? I mean, I know, I know." They know that, but it's it's that weird right. feeling of wow! I wrote somebody that you're invested in, you're imaginary. Wow! Um, so yeah, it's it's creating that whole different universe. It's um, it's, it's kind of a cool gig, you know. It is. Well, I'll tell you one of the things that was interesting about this um, the fussy virgin was she's 29, and we don't need to get into what age I am, but let's just say I'm not 29. And, sure. Um, so I was very mindful of, you know, if I'm, if I'm, talk, if I'm talking from the inside of a head of a 29-year-old, I, I had to be authentic. So when I finished my first draft, I enlisted the help of five 20-somethings to read okay. it. And I wanted them to read. I said, bang on it. Rip it apart. Anything that doesn't feel authentic to your age, like phrases, something you would or wouldn't do, would or wouldn't eat, would or wouldn't set, you know, anything. And so they did. They they were great. And they, they helped me find places where, you know, I thought I was being really cool. They were like, no, that's not cool. I'm like, okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, one, one that was really funny was that I, it's all about the phone. You know, she's on the phone. That's where she meets the guy. And so I was calling it, they have a landline. And, and a 20-something said to me, uh, we don't call it a cell phone. I go, you don't call it a cell phone? They go, no, it's just a phone. We've never had anything but that. There's no two phones. It's a, it's a phone. And I was like, yeah. right, okay. Yeah, right? Yeah. So if you're of a certain age, you might call it a cell phone. 
Um, yeah. So and my sister-in-law uh, teaches um, teaches history, and so she sat down with her classes and said, "Okay, so we're going to talk about fifties housewives." And so here you are. It's post World War II. You've had however many kids. You're home and you're stressing and you're bored. What do you do? And people are like, "Oh, you call your friends." And she's like, "How?" Well, you on the phone. It's like, what if you don't have a phone? What do you mean you don't have a phone? You know, it's like you don't have a phone. Or if you have a phone, it's a party line. So, you know, Mildred yeah. down the street might be talking to her mom for three days, and you can't make her get off the phone. You know, and so it's just really very interesting the perception. So, getting twenty somethings to read it is just brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. And the the other thing I'll tell you that they said to me, and they they said one of the girls said to me, "How did you know? How did you get this right? These are exactly the same conversations I have with my friends. How did you do that?" And I looked at her and I said, "Guess what? Those are the conversations I had with my friends. And what does that mean? Nothing yep. has changed. Nothing. <laughs> Not a thing. I mean, yeah. I, I did make those conversations." from my memory of what of talking with my girlfriends when I was in my twenties, when I liked a guy and the kinds of conversations where we'd spend the evening dissecting how much he liked me or why he didn't call me or whatever it happened to be. And those are still going on today. So that was kind yeah. of interesting for me to learn. Yeah. It's, it's the same, the same line of questioning, you know, for every generation, exactly. it's just done differently. So yeah, it's, um, it's amazing how things will change, but then stay remarkably the same in a lot of ways. Exactly. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it, McGarvey. Oh, well, my pleasure. My pleasure. It was really fun. I feel like I've known you forever. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. And thank you so much for, you know, giving me some time to talk about my books, especially my new one just coming out this week. It's so exciting and you know, I'm, I I really appreciate you you putting me on here. Absolutely. And when you have a, your next release, please let us know and come back and talk about it. I would love to. I, and, in fact, Yay. I can tell you right now, it's going to be the end, end of May, and it's a thriller. Oh, perfect. So we'll get you scheduled. Yeah. But I am going to talk, contact you offline because I do want to pick your brain about working at these different magazines. Sure. Oh, I'm happy to. Oh. Yep. <laughs> So for anybody who, uh, this was Patricia W. Fisher is talking to McCarvey Black about her latest release that will happen Monday. It's called The Fussy Virgin, but she also has, in the meantime, over the weekend, you can read her thrillers, which is I Never Left, The First Husband, and Without Her Consent. Um, Those are all thrillers. Romantic Comedy comes out Monday. And McCarvey has got a wealth of information about traveling and all of her adventures. And you can find her at her website, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and BookBub. And the pre-order link is in the right above the show so thank you again for being on and we will talk to you for sure in may you keep us posted sounds good thanks bye absolutely and this has been patricia w fisher and please remember it is world cancer day so if you have someone in your life that has been is struggling with cancer going through treatment even if they are recovered please reach out to them and if they there's someone in your life that who's who has been affected by cancer and has gone to their next adventure please reach out to their families please don't lose touch and please keep them in your thoughts sending them gentle healing um it's always a very big deal to make sure that we take care of each other and 
we can get lost in our own frustration in our own lives. So just reaching out and a little bit of kindness is always a good deal. So this is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. Everyone, keep on reading. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.